Welcome back to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker, and this podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. Each episode, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter and a chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. My special guest for today's episode is returning guest Gar Locke. In part one of Gar's story, we discussed his mental health journey from a life of crime to prison, redemption and his new life he started as a farmer and helping other male ex-prisoners turn their life around. Unfortunately, our first podcast was heavily tech interrupted. I was recording at my parents' house when I was recovering from surgery, so the Wi-Fi wasn't great on my end, and we didn't have enough time to talk about absolutely everything I wanted us to, so Gar is coming back on for a part two. Gar also has a very unique conversation style, and when he is in full flow, there isn't much that can stop him. So in this episode, we have a very free-flowing conversation that covers everything from the work of personal trainer and guru David Goggins, how we tackle the loneliness epidemic in men, how and where men can find meaning if the traditional route of a family is out of reach for them, and how to provide a positive message for men that stops them from falling prey to the problematic male influences online, stepping into the vacuum society has left. We also talk about fatherhood once more, as some of his children have flown the nest, how he feels about that, and how he sees his life once all of them have taken that path. So this is how part two of my conversation with Garlock went. Gar, welcome back to the Just Checking In pod. Thank you for coming back on for a check-in. First of all, how was your Christmas in your very busy house on the farm? And are you in a state of reset and recuperation or uh, something else? Because your beard is looking very good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Christmas in my house is mental. The last of them have gone home today. So, well, I've got a hot spot. We built a little enclave, Mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, I've got two sisters and a brother that live right next to me. And I have another two that live within a short distance. And then the rest of them come home. And a couple of cousins came this time. And well, you see, now everybody's got kids. It's just bananas. <laughs> I mean, I've only got three um, nephews and it was chaos enough with them because they're all under three. So I can't even imagine what it's like with 10, 12, 15 kids all around 10 or under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, everybody has to do their bit and the adults all have to take turns of joining in and keeping the kids going. And yeah, when the alcohol starts to wear down on everybody after a few days, man, the shifts start to get shorter <laughs> and faster. It's like WWE tag team, just quick, get a job in. Yeah. And it becomes this point where being a man around the place, the women in my family very much take over in Christmas and they organize everything and they do everything and it's all laid on and they take big pride in it. And it's a big part of their year and being a man in that is just either you're either carrying something or you're driving yeah. somewhere or you've been sent to look after the children and if you get caught sitting down with a beer in your hand <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be somebody come along and yeah. put you to work like have ah. you done the classic uh, what's that we got you there oh is that did we get you that that's classic dad 
dad vibes of a present. <laughs> What's that we got you? Oh, did you? Do you like it? Yes. Okay. I got. I'm out of the centre range, but I've been caught in all the traps. I've been caught taking offence and defending like a present. I'm saying, "Hey, I bought you that." He's like, "I thought Santa got this." I was like, "Shit!" shit. <laughs> oh, I've been there. Oh, good. My youngest is 12 now, though, so I'm kind of out of that range. Okay. You know? Now it's a case of taking my turn to stay up to four o'clock in the morning in case somebody needs to be picked up. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. Like, some of the generation has to stay sober enough to rescue the other. Right, got you. Make astute, you know? <laughs> After the last podcast we did, my running order is very brief because your conversation flow took a sledgehammer to it. So without further delay, are you ready <clears> to start <throat> the show? Yes, yes. I'll be better behaved this time and answer your questions. <laughs> like i said this running orders is going to be very short so you can flow in any which way you want mate and we can go in lots of different tangents the first question i want to ask you is about meaning and how men can find meaning and purpose because you found it eventually how do you think they go about it from your perspective uh I don't ever think I was like, ah, there's my meaning. And then, <laughs> you know, Never a light bulb moment, the problem for sure. Was yeah. You have a series of plans and what you want to do with your life. And your meaning involves your next half an hour and your next week and your long-term goals. And like, I suppose I think about myself more in case of, like, I trap myself with principles to make decision-making easier and faster. You know, if I can kind of just put my own little stencil of my own principles over something. And then it shows me where the important parts are, and I'll deal with that and fuck everything else. It speeds things up a lot. And regards overall mission and purpose in life, like, Jesus, I don't think I've ever put myself under the pressure to have such a big concept, like the meaning of my life or the general purpose of my life, you know? It's a big thing. I'd be worried about defining it in case I got it wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's not that I don't think deeply about what am I doing and have existential crisis over what's the point. I've been loads of scenarios. I'm standing there going, what in that Jesus name am I actually doing? How did I get here? <laughs> That's not me on the day. What am I doing? Why am I applying all of this energy and effort into this? Just, that happens to me every year in loads of ways. And But it's the busyness of mm. life, you know? I mean, like, like, I find myself at the moment kind of in this middle age thing that was all triggered i ended up speaking to benjamin just after it happened it triggered by hurting myself and been sent on this spiral of oh shit i'm 43 at best i'm halfway through like at best <laughs> that's if they come up with some new medicines but i like i'm being light with myself about it i'm aware that i'm experiencing a midlife crisis and that i have to have a change of direction but i'm not unhappy with where mm. i am was he asking you, like, you know? where is your North Star? Like, where do you see yourself going in the next five to ten years? <laughs> well, I do find myself asking that question. I've done what I've done so far, and now I'm very much a farmer. Mm. And I have a farm, and I have a family. And my oldest two have moved out. They're kind of set off back in September. Both of them left at the same time, in different directions, to start their own life. The next one's on his way out the door. And then I have two younger ones, the youngest is 12. And like when they're gone, that's a very different life. They are at the root of everything I've been doing. And so being a parent to adult children who are out there living their own life looks like it's going to be a very different game to being a parent to mm. children. You know, I'm kind of looking at that going, okay, 
I'm surely I'm old enough now to start seeing things coming and preparing myself for what will be a big change in my life. Easier said than done, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, and then, but kind of be, you know, if I find myself getting, I, I was driving around the other day and I was listening to the radio and I was being emotionally affected by music I wouldn't normally listen to. And, and I was like, ah, damn it, that's because I'm you know, spending a lot of time at the moment reminiscing about when the kids mm. were younger. And I was like, okay, okay. And it was like, you know, I don't deny myself the feeling. I don't correct myself. I'm just kind of going, okay, I'm in this phase, you know. <laughs> you know, aware of... Your brain's preparing for it, isn't state. it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I get where I'm going. I have to deal with what I'm doing. And then someone rings me. And then I'm thinking about what I have to do later. And do you know what I mean? It's not like a cloud hanging over me. It's just like what I'm thinking about in the resting state of mind has started to come on. Okay, I could actually change course quite quickly at the moment, and I'd still have 20, 25 years at something. I could actually be an expert in something else by the time I retire. However, in 10 years, that opportunity is a lot less. Have you decided what that is yet, or inkling it yet? I don't know. I don't know. I might just keep doing what I'm doing. I might make a change. I'm not under any pressure. I don't, like... But these are all thoughts that weren't occurring to me before I hurt myself last year. Mm. What do you uh, mean by that? Do you mean self-harm or do you just mean you like burnt out or? Oh, no, I hurt oh, me. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, not thank God, yeah. but at least it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. No, 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 I wasn't. When I say I hurt myself, it, like, as in. I'm used to that chat meaning yeah. self-harm on this podcast, mate. Yeah, That's yeah, probably yeah, sorry, why. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, like I damaged the, it's called the cruciate ligament oh. in my knee to the point where the doctor is like, you know, you can never give it full whack anymore. So did you do your ACL as bad as that? Or was it kind of close to one? It was the ACC came off the inside okay. and needed to be kind of stitched back to the bone Oof. and hope for the best. And the cruciate tore and one of them tore almost all the way through. Not quite gone. They added a bit of plastic or something. <laughs> that sounds like my uh, mum saying, "Put and, a paper and, towel on it when, when any any injury." Oh, just put a bit of plastic on yeah. it; it'll be fine. <laughs> no, well, originally when they looked at it, it was a keyhole surgery, Oof. and they added something to it. I wasn't even aware that's what they were bloody doing at the time. That's how painless it was. It was an injection into the knee for an inspection and a manipulation to see it after an MRI. And then your man just made a tiny little slit with a thing on a camera and added something structurally mm. to it. Done in seconds. Paid for it, though. Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah, so before that, I was still an eater. So why I, like, I push my body to the point of exhaustion and I hurt myself. Something I liked to do. And ever since it, it was like, during the healing process, I was like, ah, I'm tender. I'm going to be annoyed and I'm going to cycle through all sorts of negative emotions. And I didn't let anything you know, it's like, whatever, I was doomery one day, I'm never going to be able to run again. And I just let it wash over me. But the bit that stuck afterwards was like, damn it, I can't really be reckless like mm. that anymore. And it feels like something has ended. And it's kind of triggered a bit of um, evaluating everything for safety. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> you know? So it can't push, can't push yourself uh, to the limit as much as you could anymore. Yeah, and I suppose even though it's a year later, I'm still in the pendulum swinging mm. in how I feel about all of that. And then it's kind of triggered me thinking about other things that are just finite, done, mm. done, right? Like a like, knock-on effect, like, like a domino to yeah. other things, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm sure you're just about old enough now to end up going to the wrong bar where you're like, oh, my God, I have to get out of here. I look like a fucking pedo. <laughs> These are all kids. Mm. Like, that happens to me in loads of places. That's like half of places now. <laughs> 
no. The places I can go to are getting smaller and smaller and smaller in the sense of like that. And that's just an awful lot of life is narrowing like that. And I live in a very physical world. So the idea that now I have to stand back and kind of go, okay, I'll let the young one do it because I don't want to fucking hurt myself is just like... It's in a state of mind that I've never had. Like, is it slightly emasculating you know? or not? No, no, I didn't, no. Connective like virility. Like, emasculating is a weird one. Weird way to say it. Or, nah, or bruised man. your ego. Nah. Um, no, right. Do you know what's going through my head when I'm standing there and I'm wrestling with that? Is I don't get to have the feeling of it. So, like, oh, just climbing a tree, right? To put in a peg. Now I'll go back and I'll get the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which some listeners uh, may say you should have done it before that. <laughs> exactly. Right. And I won't be loose about using a chainsaw over shoulder height anymore. And I'll go back and get the lighter saw. <laughs> you know? And... Right, there's a feeling when you reach out to the point where it's like, oh, I might be reaching a little bit too far. And it works. You pull it off. And even if you stumble, you have the physical prowess to correct it. Did I? Or land on your feet. Knowing now is like, damn it, I shouldn't. I really shouldn't. The risks are too high. The injury is too consequential. Yes. It's not just going to go back to normal again. So I've fucked me up. And no matter what I do, I can't make it heal beyond a certain point besides getting a titanium knee or some shit. You know? Yeah, you're not bionic man uh, yet, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, do you know what? Like, I've brought my nose three times. Right? Your nose looks pretty good, man. Third to- so that's surprising. That is my wife's work. <laughs> the third time I broke it... I she just cracked it back into place, it, did she? <laughs> she splinted it, man. She pulled me to pieces and splinted it because when I met her, I had a straight nose. <laughs> Right, and the first time I broke it, it was all over the place, and then the second time I broke it, it was just like flattened. And that time, my wife was like, "Can you fix it?" To the doctor, saying to the doctor, "Can you just put it back to looking normal?" And he was like, "Well, we have to like break it and take it apart and reconstruct it." And he was like, "As long as he can breathe, right? It's just purely cosmetic." And I was like, "Shut up." You know, I was like, I'm not getting cosmetic surgery on my nose. The doctor had said to her, if, if it breaks again, when it's broke, we might as well have a go at it. She had looked up what she needed to do, and she was waiting. She was waiting years and years, <laughs> and six years later, I broke it in, and she was like, sit down here, bite this, we're fixing your Holy nose. Holy <laughs> moly. And she brought me in with like two sides of a wooden clothes peg, like duct taped either side of my nose. And she was like, I've arranged the bones. Just fucking do it properly into the hospital. She was having none of it. She was like, your nose is awful, awful. Get it fixed. <laughs> if you look straight onto the yeah. camera, you can see it's still off. It's not, oh, yes, a little bit. Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was rebuilt. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's not quite a burnt candle, pieces. but yeah. yeah, maybe like three quarters of a candle. Yeah, and it got straightened out. Yeah, that was my, my wife's pride and joy. And she looks at my nose like it's hers now. She's like, ha ah, look at my masterpiece. <laughs> look what I did. It's look like Michelangelo. Look what I did. Yeah. And it was so funny because I broke it. I just slipped and fell forward and caught my nose on um, the top of like a metal railing. It wasn't even a slip that would knock me off my feet. It was just so quick. It was just done. I was like, oh. And then, because it's soft. Yes. It's already messed up. 
it smashed, it shattered into pieces, and she was like, hooray! <laughs> so, so like, did you, did you trip me and I missed it? You... <laughs> this podcast is going in all different directions, mate. I love it, I love it. Sorry, what was the question? Oh, the I forgot now, life. I forgot. <laughs> 42 yeah. Yeah, is the answer to the meaning of life. Ford, I feel like a sofa. Yeah. I know what you mean, mate. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, yeah, we was getting on to just talking about that as being something that you can probably expect at some point in the middle of your life. Mm. It happens to people at different ages, and it certainly woke me up to it, and I'm now looking at the men that are older than me going, what are you going through <laughs> that I can expect? <laughs> Get out my notepad, so what's it like being 50? <laughs> and yeah, but I'm light with myself to be grand master plan type thinking. It's very big. You have to have a worldview, and I believe that's what a religion or a set of philosophy or like a guideline you're working on. I mean, I kind of have my own principles. I borrow, beg, and steal from everybody. I'll be able to use the crucifix and jihad together to make it work. You know? um. <laughs> Our previous guest described his political views as a pick and mix, but that's certainly taking it one step further. <laughs> yeah, well, do you know, I'm a free man and I use the power of the internet and I listen to anybody's And you love annoying people, I'll tell you that for free. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not that I love annoying people. I think if you say things exactly how they are it can be really really irritating you, know? uh, you love annoying zealots <laughs> let me put it that way <laughs> well yeah if you don't caveat what you say and you're not careful about what you know and what you don't know it's very hard to speak confidently and make sense yeah you know? and people do a lot of caveats kind of, yeah yeah you'd have to caveat forever and ever and ever to be truly clear but i find that people get things mixed up people then lose track of why they're doing what they're doing and it's absolutely amazing how many people aren't really thinking a lot about no. anything and their brain energy is going into entertainment recreation they're working they're reading stuff and being dramatic about it small things headlines but their actual attention is on Nicki Minaj or only fans <laughs> <laughs> do you know it's very easy to live. I mean, the game has been set up like that. I mean, bread and circus is a known idea. And society is really good at bread and circus. Really good. People have a problem. And they're like, hang on a minute. We've got a problem. And you're like, well, hang on a minute. Nobody's been thinking about anything. Why didn't we think of this before? <laughs> oh, yeah. Our brains were mushed for the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he said, do you ever look around at all of this technology and realize that you don't know, how, you don't know anything about anything? <laughs> you don't, I know a few people like that, mate. <laughs> But yeah, as regards meaning, like I'd be more interested in philosophy of how to do, how to make decisions, in what way to orient yourself. Well, you love Goggins. Tell me about Goggins because I've been uh, reading up and watching it, or well, watching his stuff recently from your uh, right. from your links. Why is he always shouting? <laughs> Why is he always? He's always shouting? shouting. Why is he shouting in every one of his videos? Yeah, yeah, he spent three hours shouting at Joe yeah. Rogan, which I didn't, I didn't, right. Jamie like, was probably doing a lot of audio mixing on that, mate. <laughs> Jamie, turn him down. Jamie, turn him down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> turn me up, yeah. Why is he always shouting? All right, so what he's saying gets delivered very well in shouting, and I think he, you know, he was in the army. Mm. That's part of his persona he's famous for, is um, being the fat guy who was told he couldn't do it. And this was the challenge he set himself. He had a horrible, abusive mm. childhood and upbringing, thought was very little of himself, and just snapped one day, decided he was going to join the army. 
or the Marines. He didn't even go into the army. He went straight to the Marines. Like, and they told him he wasn't good enough, and he's failed everything he's tried to do, but he's overcome it eventually. I mean, he got a degree in something, was being dyslexic. And, do you know, it's this kind of attitude that he had, that if he just kept trying, he would eventually breakthrough and he's a success story of that i think that probably gets um, lost in all the shouting and mantras and who's going to carry the boats the, and all that well i'm going to i'm going to end up sounding really cheesy because that is so deep man that is so deep there's thousands and thousands and thousands of years of philosophy in you don't know me son and who's going to carry the logs and the boats you know civilizations have been built on that like we don't think we need it, right? Until we do. And until we do, right? You had a tough year. I did. I heard your 15, 15 minute. Oh, thank you. You're one of, one of my two listeners who listen to that. <laughs> right? And a bit of the logs and fucking boats, mm. man. Would have made it easier. Would have made it easier, right? And now you have some logs and boats to pull on, right? The next thing that's going to go wrong. What 2024 has in store for you? The fact that you had a shitty 2023. Literally. You kept your momentum. Mm -hmm. You still got a job. This is still This kept me sane during a lot of it. Right. Right. The energy in your voice in your last podcast that I listened to compared to the one that we had, like, was way up. Yeah, probably because I was was in recovery from the surgery during our first one. But but this is it. You were laid up on your bed, made a promise. You had nothing else to do on a Saturday night. That makes it more convenient to talk to me because I'm only available on Mm -hmm. a Saturday night. And I don't mind that. I don't mind giving people the opportunity to pay a sacrifice if they want to talk to me, which is you have to talk to me on a Saturday night. (laughs) Not the queen. But, like, you can rephrase all of that from... I had a shit year to look at all of the shit I got. That's what I tried to frame it as. I still took a lot of positives from it. I tried to anyway. But even the challenges of, say, even starting with the, oh, shit, there's something wrong with me, I might have cancer, Mm. right? I'm pushing through Mm. that and having the experience of something, it being still being something serious, Mm. but it wasn't that, right? Okay, now you know, next time, going straight to cancer isn't, well, it, it wasn't the right choice last time. Right, so maybe going straight to cancer in your head when something's up. Well, normally I don't do that. Is a pathway that you won't travel. Yeah, is a pathway that you'll be less likely to travel. Sure. Yeah, I think it's more because it was happening to me for the first time, and I looked at something and I went, "This looks like that could be that." I'm normally I'm not one of those people that goes, "Oh, something is you know immediately cancer or something is immediately the worst thing possible." But when I looked at it and I was like, "Hmm, this does look cancerous," and I was like, "Better be safe than sorry." (laughs) So everybody has that. Everybody will think that. Right? Everybody's mind will cycle to the absolute worst case scenario. Right? But like the task then is how do you mm. cope? How do you cope with it? In what way do you cope with it? Logs and boats is yeah, where yeah. you cope. Right? You don't know me, son, is how he would deal with the bad news of it is cancer. Right? It's like what's he saying by it? Right? It's like you don't know me, son. Right, son is there as a word to create a rank. I am now being paternal to you. You don't know me, son. You're not my peer. Your son, right, is what that is. He's elevating himself above himself because he's talking to himself. 
The doubt. He also refers to himself in the third person as well. (laughs) Right. So the doubting person in his head that's telling him, you're done now, you're finished, that's it, you're fucked, I've got cancer, oh no, what am I going to do, this, that, he's saying, you are now the son, you do not know me, son. And what's he saying about you don't know me? He's saying that the weak part of your mind that's saying it's up does not know that the strong part of your mind even exists. He is asserting himself as no, no. You don't know me, son. And he's elevating himself. In the clip I showed you, what he is doing is he's pushing himself to exhaustion on the bench press. And you have Coach McMurphy giving it the usual sports spiel in the background. And the coach gets told, you don't know me, son, because he's only counting to 20. And David Goggins gets to the, the rep that you fail on. And he stops and he shouts, you don't know me, son. And he's shouting at the bit in his head that's doubting. And he does another rep. And he forces his body to go past the point where his body wants to stop. And then when that's not enough, he stops for a second and says, who is going to carry the boats and the logs? The boats and the logs are whatever it is that needs to be done when there is nobody to do yeah, it. It's a metaphor for a ex- nobody wants responsibility, do doing the thing that doesn't need to be done, but has to be done. Yeah. Right. And in the analogy he's using in his head, there is people standing there expecting him to fail. And he is there with a team of people and somebody needs to get the boats and the logs. Right. And he is saying to himself, which way, motherfucker? Who is going to carry the boats and the logs? And the answer is, it's not going to be anybody else. There isn't anybody else to carry them. It's only you. You are the only one in your own head. Everybody else has got their own shit to carry. Who's going to carry the boats and the logs? And the answer has to be me. Right? So you don't know me, son. Who's going to carry the boats and the logs? is the essence of masculinity. Because there isn't anybody else. There is only you. I can stand next to you, so you don't feel alone. But I can't do anything for you that you have to do yourself. Mm. You will have to carry the boats and the logs. And if you want a woman to live as a family, and you want kids, and you want her to pour love onto you in a way that only women can, right? She has to feel safe and she has to trust you. So who's going to carry the boats and the logs is never going to be her. She's got her own shit to deal with. She's going to actually have to give birth to the children. She's going to have to have somebody grow inside. That's carrying the boats and the logs in a different way, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Right. And her journey is, I'm watching my wife trying to let go of two adults that aren't kids anymore, man. Doesn't look like fun. They grew inside her. That's something different. She is losing a part of herself that she has created. Mm. It's like she ain't carrying boats and logs, man. She didn't give birth to boats and logs. <laughs> she hasn't got the body for boats and logs. I have the body for boats and logs. That was the trade-off. That was the deal. Mm. I carry the boats and the fucking logs. There is nobody else. Me. And that's my unit. There's me and there's her and the kids. Right. Everybody else, there's other men who can pick up the other end of the boats and the logs with me. 
so we can cooperate. Mm. But that's when there's something that me and him can deal with, right? When you're lying on your own in the bed thinking, shit, I'm fucked up, I've got sick in somewhere, I'm fucking injured, you're worried about fucking tomorrow, these are boats and logs. Your boats and logs are the assumption of the negative. You need to calm yourself down. You need to rationalize it into there's a whole load of possibilities. I'm going to get answers into the future. Being stressed out now is actually bad for me. I'm going to try to distract myself. You can't do exercise when you're sick, but if it's not something that you're sick about, you're physically sick with, exercise is a great way to reset your body, you know, reset your mind. Your boats and your logs is to get back to a point of stable so you can make some good decisions. My boats and my logs were podcast when I was right. in recovery. I tell you that for free. Right. <laughs> And the little voices in your head that are talking to you and telling you this stuff that you know is wrong, right? And this is why you're feeling bad. They're compelling you and you're doing it. They're going boo and you're getting scared, right? The bad feeling you get is because they're fucking winning. You don't know me, son, is how you fight that off. It's how you disassociate yourself from what the Christians call the, the defiance voice, yeah. right? And you start listening to the angel voice. You are the you don't know me. You're the me, mm -hmm. you know. You're not either. You're choosing. You're going to steer this ship, right? Identify the boats and the logs. See them as that. They're an interaction between you and the outside world. So it's like, it's David Goggins, and what he's doing is trying to fucking do his bench press. Mm. Could be anything for you. It could be anything. Your boats and your logs might be the responsibility not to eat outside your meal plan because you're overweight. <laughs> your boats and logs might be don't smoke weed during the week because you're not performing at work and you're going to get stuck if you don't fucking change something. Who knows what people's boats and logs are? It's the principle of it. And that's why I say it's steeped in philosophy. Now, I always let a lot of emotion out by going out of a gym in my shed. I'll work out or I'll go running. And that's how I let a lot out. I find myself, if I'm all caught up and I need to make a decision, I just like, oh, fucking, ah, oh, Jesus, I'm not thinking straight. I can't make good choices. You know, and I'll do some exercise yeah, and I'll so, let it out or run yeah. it out or whatever. And now, I don't know if everybody's like that, if that's a universal. I expect it is. I try to live like that. I mean, um, I go nuts if I don't go to the gym for a few days purely because of the routine of it, but... As well as that, it's the release. You know, if I am feeling down or if something bad's happened to me and I can get to the gym, I normally will because it always helps. Even if it's a, just a yeah. going through the motion session, it always helps. If I try to stay on point of the question of what's the meaning of life? <laughs> I think you, I think you gave you? that question. I think I asked that. <laughs> so you asked how to, how to find meaning yeah. and purpose. Yeah, yeah. well, that was, the first, that was the original one, but we've gone, we've gone into rainbows and tangents here. All right. If you're in a spot, right, where meaning and purpose in life is a struggle for you, if it's a bit of a crisis, right, then you better have the rest of the shit sorted. Otherwise, you're just avoiding stuff that you can mm. be doing, to be honest. Like, if your life ain't sorted out right now, worry about next week and tomorrow. We'll come back to the meaning of your life once you have enough money coming in, you're a little bit stable, you're feeling a little bit better. And then we can talk about, like, purpose, it's chicken and egg, isn't it? Uh, yeah, do, you, do you sort yourself out by getting purpose or do you sort yourself out and then get the purpose? Do you know what I mean? It depends on what you mean by sort yourself out. Yeah. I would say that if you've got like problems that need immediate attention and but you're, you're avoiding solving them because you're stuck on the question of why should I solve sure. them, I would just say, yeah, all right, but let's solve them first and come back to them. <laughs> <maybe."> <laughs> 
I hear you. I'm just you playing know, devil's advocate. Physical tasks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so somebody has a career, like, uh, yeah, I suppose I'm on the cusp of that in the sense of, like, when my kids move out. Now I'm like, okay. Is there a feeling of, okay, I'm not needed anymore? What's that like? You know, there isn't a bunch of people that need me anymore. Well, until they have grandkids and then you'll be needed again, but that's a long way off. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's a long way off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I don't know. You know, my mum and dad, they had four kids. And then by the time they had had empty nest syndrome, it was only for about a few weeks because my brother then had a child. So childcare started pretty quickly and we all live locally. So that all started again, to be honest. They didn't really have much of a gap. Well, yeah, I would hope that that would be the continuum. I just move up a seat at the table and that's Mm. it. And that's a whole new joy, isn't it? When you start to have grandkids, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I wonder how temporary it'll be. One of the tools I use to combat future crisis, I suppose it would be if you weren't prepared for issues in life, is kind of to use uh, the idea of imagining, okay, what's the worst that could happen? Now, I don't care to imagine or explain the actual worst, worst. (laughs) But I'm looking at one scenario I can think this. I don't expect to happen, but might happen which is that after my kids move out, my wife might want to go her own way. She's a wild woman and a free bird. And as I was making money out the whole time, she insisted to hand some over for her own personal security. And once the farm started working and I started making a bit of cash, I started putting stuff in her name and made sure that she felt comfortable that she wasn't financially trapped. Mm -hmm. Because that was a bit of a crisis for her. We had three kids back to back. She was pregnant the night we got married. We had a real whirlwind. We had three kids back to back. And uh, when the third one was a bit of a struggle, we were like, oh, shit, what are we doing? Oh, my God, I'm married. (laughs) Oh, how did this happen? (laughs) I remember falling in love (laughs) at some point. What the fuck did I just do? A few moments later. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it felt like. But it was was magic. It was life on full tilt. It was amazing. I don't regret it for a second. But it was a little bit like we didn't start kind of thinking about it until well down the line and she started to panic a little bit because she's like oh shit i'm stuck and freedom to her is a mm-hmm. big thing so once she felt comfortable that she wasn't mm-hmm. trapped or whatever then she was cool but i've been thinking it through and i was thinking mm-hmm. one of the advantages to having kids young means that you get this longer period after they're adults like in my head i'm all about family but it's my family everybody's got my name or whatever and she's very much she's married me it's not her family in the same way even though like it is it is you know we live in it and so i prepare myself for the worst and say okay well what would i do if she turned around she go right thanks for that see ya you know which she may well do like and if it was to ask her about it she'd just say well i don't know how i'm gonna feel in six years mm. seven years you know, get back to me at the time, I'll let you know. She's not going to say... Oh, yeah, prepare for this uh, in six years, yeah. <laughs> she's not going to say that she is, and she was like, well, you know, I like the idea of us going, doing this together and doing that together or whatever like that, but if you want to do this and I want to do that, I'm, we're not going to hold each other back. We're just going to go do our own thing. And then that's kind of like thinking about that. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Hmm. <laughs> not sure that's what I had in mm. mind, you know? <laughs> And then I think it was a through to myself. I was thinking, all right, okay, if I can, you know, think that through. It's not, okay, not all of that's that bad. There's some things I could do that maybe I wouldn't do because I know that it would be too 
bad for her. She wouldn't enjoy it enough. Like, I'd go to Thailand and open a big weed farm or something like that. And, and she would definitely not be down you could, for that. You could go to Bali in any of those half moon parties, mate. I'd tell you that for free. You would definitely be looking like uh, <laughs> the oldest person in there. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that too, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not Thailand. But like, everywhere is a bit like that. Yeah, you kind of have to stay at home, don't you? Otherwise, you'll creep. Um, <laughs> You're like a sex tourist. Might <laughs> <laughs> start a revolution as well. That'd be fun. Well, there's one going on Myanmar. You can go join that if you want. <laughs> Take up arms. <laughs> no, start a little Irish one. You know, start my own version of an Irish one. Well, I mean, we're, we're not far from that with the news. <laughs> well, you know, give it another six years. I tell to go. you, might be I right. tell you, mate. I've been following it. I've got some ideas. I wouldn't be that totalitarian. I'll be king during my lifetime. <laughs> hand over control of the country back to the people in my succession. I've met my kids. I wouldn't trust them. Anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> Well, we've been talking for 43 minutes and I've got no idea what we just chatted about for 43 minutes, which is also a good sign. Uh, what to do with meaning, I suppose, uh, isn't it? I hope it's not too far No, I think, we, I think we've trying. talked about it. I mean, we'll come back to it in a second, but I do want to talk about one... I mean, I love your Twitter threads. I tr- I've deleted Twitter off my phone and it's really helped my mental health. But I do go back on there every now and then to try and find guests, check in on how you're doing. Because you did write about one thing, which uh, I have some similarity to, because I recently got semi-diagnosed maybe not officially diagnosed with autism from my gp i'm going to get Uh officially diagnosed or officially assessed sorry officially assessed this year you also went to get assessed i believe how did that go well i enjoyed it right i like talking to psychotherapists right i bet you can talk their ear off crikey (laughs) they have a very interesting perspective on how people Mm. right yeah i was assessed for to what degree I was neurodivergent as a screening for my children. I refused to allow one of my kids to be screened because I didn't think that there was a strong enough indication and I didn't want them thinking. I didn't want the idea. Yes, in yeah, because it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy, right. can't it? Yeah, yeah. Luckily, my kids' school approached me first and then my kind of going, ah, I didn't agree with what they were saying to an extent. I was like, you know, you're trying to medicalize something that's just personality. It was kind of my feeling at the time. And then the same person that was spotting it and my daughter has said, I think that it might be hereditary. And I think that you're showing signs of it too. And I was like, this was just a 20 minute conversation. So I was just thinking, I'm so fucking diagnosing people and after just meeting them, you know, you're meeting me under rather special circumstances too. Like. <laughs> you, you, you must have been showing traits, mate. <laughs> so I made peace with the teacher in that I would be assessed myself and that I would learn about it. I would report back and that we would work together because I didn't want her feeling like there was a kid having a problem that I was going to stand in, mm. be standing in the way and demonstrate that I was taking it seriously. A couple of Twitter friends actually have had a diagnosis or have been assessed or whatever, and I've been talking to them about their experience of it as well. Get myself up to speed. They've been showing me links. I just looked up who's the specialist in this province for autism and rang them up and said how much and paid for a session. Four hours. Oh, wow. I had her in absolute stitches several times. Just was not expecting the answer, I guess. Do you know, I answered. Uh, I wonder why. Um, like, am I neurodivergent? Yeah. Why? Well, there isn't a neuronormal. Like, there's a neural average of how people are, but nobody's average. Nobody's average on anything. 
you know and it's like everybody's a combination of their personality and then what happened to them sure i do disagree with the whole like everyone's on the spectrum argument though because not everyone's on the spectrum Hmm. there are a lot of people on it and there are a lot of people who are perfectly fine fine in air quotes but yeah well that's what i mean you know if you're perfectly fine there's nothing wrong with you you know by definition of being perfectly Mm. fine well, yeah, the professional's assessment was that I'm neurodivergent because I don't suffer in any way. There's nothing to do with it. Yeah, fair. Like, if you've got any problems, if the world is confusing, give us a call. I said, same to you, lady. Do you know? I said, if you ever meet a really difficult customer and you're having an existential crisis, give me a call and see if I can calm you down. Especially <laughs> <laughs> you know? that. <laughs> I was like, well, you've you got some fucking mad ideas about people as well. What? I was like, you've got this idea of a normal person in your head that we're all supposed to try to bend ourselves mm. towards. Like, I don't have any developmental issues. It was like, you know, my development as a child it was under all sorts of stresses mm. and pressures, just like everybody else. I listened to your friend that you had on, Chris. Oh, what, Chris recently. McHugh? Talked about miscarriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, like, he he had, you know, parents splitting up at 12 and listening to them roaring and shouting, man, that'll change your direction. If what they mean by neurodivergent is you've had something in your life that has affected you, and so you've been tipped off normal, it was like, find somebody who hasn't. Mm. Find me a normal person, mm. you know? Let me give them some whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> and let's find out how fucking normal they are. I do disagree you know? a lot with the term neurodivergent. Now, I mean, you're fine to use it, but like, I almost feel like some people, a lot of the time I hear people using it, it's like people who aren't autistic or ADHD use the term to make themselves feel better about people who've got it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, just say fucking autism or say fucking ADHD or whatever it is. I don't really like this umbrella term that just because it ends up being this airy fairy bollocks. I was chatting with a guy, again, a Twitter friend, Gen X Jeff. Okay. I don't know if you've come across him. American fella. And we had a chat in the podcast. And he's diagnosed autism, mm. which means he's uh, there's an actual physical component mm. to it. He's had a developmental issue as a child that's made things very difficult for him. Right? But his expectation that the rest of us were all on the same level, and he wasn't, was way off, man. Way off. He thinks everybody else knows what's going on. It was like, no, they're not. No, they don't. You know, no, they don't. Like, that's <laughs> pay close attention. If it looks confusing, it's because nobody's nobody's thinking. Everybody's walking around, reacting emotionally. Mm. They're saying things, but an awful lot of what people say is, you say something or something happens, it makes them think of something, so they say it. They haven't thought about whether or not that's the thing to say, <laughs> whether that's useful why they're saying it. A thought occurred to them and they just put it in words so they mm. said it. And loads of conversations happen like that. I don't know if you smoke cigarettes, but if you've ever been in the smoking shed and you're sat there and two people come along and they start talking, sometimes it's just like pigeons cooing <laughs> at each other. <laughs> you know? And you're like, nobody's thinking about anything, man. You know? It was like normal. Who wants to be fucking normal, mm. man? Do you know? Stay special. Yeah. <laughs> Make it work for you, mm. do you know. You know, there's a lot of ideas that schools should try to orchestrate a classroom of kids so that it suits everybody. It's like what an impossible yeah. task that is, and it's like just put down a centre pole and have all the kids figure out how they're going to get there and help them all individually, you know, and don't kind of worry too much about how they interact. I know you were the the victim of vicious bullying. 
But do you know, has any? Uh, I don't know. I'm getting into a no. Go on, feel free. I'm happy to discuss it. Of, I'm just wondering, like, if there's not enough light bullying, that maybe extreme bullying is kind of squeezing something till it pops. Do you know? <laughs> maybe if you allow kids to regulate themselves a little bit more as they're growing older, that it kind of gets it out of them at the right stage. So, like, empathy. So kids learn not to hit by getting hit. It's like, pfft, it hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. A punch in the face would change your perspective on life, I'll tell you that you know? for free. Not that I would hit them, but when children hit each other and fight and argue and things get out of control or whatever, and they're learning. They're learning about conflict, and then by the time they're an adult, they realise the severity yes. of conflict yeah. and the consequence of conflict and whatever. But if they're not allowed to progress through the stages of conflict as children in their world where they're fighting over toys then conflict as an adult is, is a lot more confusing for them. Mm. And again, I, like, I don't want to pick on Chris. <laughs> God. <laughs> right? But he described when he entered media, he had an encounter with a yes. boss who was thoughtless in the impact yeah. it would have on an intern. Mm-hmm. And it disrupted him enough that he changed mm. course. Initially, before he came back to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There wasn't enough detail in that. I'd have to. I'd have to live with him for a month to be able to say anything about him. But just in the very general sense, it sounded to me like in those ten years he was going through preparation to be ready. So he went in. You have to deal with people mm. like that, and I'm sure he's now able to deal with mm. people like that. There's stuff you can do or can happen as a child in a controlled environment of a family, which is dealing with older brothers and sisters and fucking shite and being unsupervised for a little bit too long, <laughs> right? That can kind of prepare one for, yeah. you know? And if a kid goes through experiencing parents shouting and divorcing, they can kind of build a cope for that that allows them to shut off and then they can use that inappropriately as a tool to shut off from other things and then it hinders their ability to develop resilience and then they encounter something in the adult world mm. and they're not ready for it, right? But Chris now has a kid, right? He's got to think about that kid being ready for that scenario at 18 mm. and not getting rocked, mm. Because now he realizes that kids that went into it at 18 and could handle it have 10 years jump Mm. on him. If he's thinking ambitiously, I don't know if he is or whatever. Maybe that shit doesn't matter. And to Chris personally, what matters is he's getting where he's going. And he is getting where he's going. It's a great time of somebody's life to be talking to them when they've rounded that Mm. corner, dealt with their challenges and on the up ramp. But when we're thinking about kids, and I know you're thinking about founding kids as a destination. (laughs) Trying to, yeah. I want you to think really strong and hard about parenting. Mm. That when they hit eighteen, they have to be ready. For yeah, stuff. yeah. They have to have practice at stuff. You have to stand back and swallow the fear and go. I hope they don't die. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let them fall over and go. Oh crap! This might end in a fucking hospital or whatever. But you've got to let them find. You've got to let them do way more than people are normally prepared to let them do. And especially if they get hurt or they're having problems or if they get bullied in school or whatever, the parents tend to throw a blanket over it and the, and the progression halts and the child needs protecting. And a child that has maybe had an experience that's beyond their years, 
and they're not dealing with it and whatever and it's been shook and needs like maybe professional help and people that really know what they're doing to help the kid get back on course rapidly mm. So they're not missing out and they're not delayed and they don't have to figure shit out as Yeah, that's probably why it to do, to be honest. Plus well, a lot of autistic traits that could end up being autism but might not be. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would just be very careful in that world from what I've been reading and from the session that I had. Just be sensitive to them calling stuff that's not normal, that's not. Like, yeah, I get that. Average. Yeah. There's just the average of stuff when you add it all up together and divide it by many. Yeah. and you can be neurodivergent as a consequence of the fact that you had an upbringing or events in your upbringing that is uncommon to everybody else and the effect of that means that you're going to have something about you which is uncommon correct right you gotta make it work to your your i try to mate i try to yeah like that's what one does with it you don't go, it's a bit of me that's wrong that needs to be fixed or cured. No, I never thought, I've never thought that, thankfully, but I always did I always did think I was different for many reasons. No, so the you in that should be one. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking directly to me there. Must, <laughs> no. I am and I haven't in the sense that I'm talking to you as an effigy of your kind. <laughs> <laughs> Which I am of one too. Mm. So I don't know. You know, I had an upbringing that other people would describe as trouble. Mm. I chose to change myself as mm-hmm. an adult. I was like, right, and dig in and fight in a specific direction. I've gone through all of the pain of that. But I was learned it through Christian philosophy taught by a priest, and I learned it through the life experiences of people that were never going to get out of prison. That was where I was getting the, right, this is what reality is. Make your choices, because nobody else ain't going to do it for mm-hmm. you. Make your choices. What happens to you is your responsibility. Yeah, that is that is Jordan Peterson yeah. mantra to uh, to the nth degree, isn't it? Really, in that environment. Well, he's a strong Christian. Yes, yeah, he is. Know? And he's combining it with psychology. And rather than that being a perspective, it's more true than I mean. Okay, the playground, the world that you have to live within, is already set. You know, this civilization was already built. You know, and there's other people running it, and we're subject to that. However, our inability to affect great change like that, we still have to make choices. Mm. We still have to move into the future ourselves personally. Our desire for a girlfriend and a family and that is inconsequential. It's, you know, if you want to change the world, don't have a family. <laughs> you know, if you want to get out there and do something about climate activism, do not have a family. Dedicate yourself to it. Pay the sacrifice. That's the sacrifice. You know, not in the sense that having a family would fuck up your chances. It's just that having a family and doing it right is going to take up the best years of your life. That's there are people who are combining both. You know, the birth strike element, which I do disagree with massively, because the uh, falling fertility rate is uh, going to be, as I've spoken with Stephen J. Shaw about in his film Birth Gap, that is going to be the next impending crisis because South Korea and Japan are fucked when it comes to that. Yeah. Well, that's slightly off topic as to what I was. I get what you mean, though. Sorry. The point, the point I was making was to really, truly dedicate yourself and point yourself at something, and then do it really Mm -hmm. hard, right? So that's a bit of what Jordan Peterson was talking about in his stuff, in the sense of if you are a climate activist and your strongest feelings are towards the climate, right? I'm not saying don't have kids because kids are bad for the climate. I'm saying don't do anything else except for point yourself at that. Right. Get yourself strong and powerful and equipped. Get yourself educated. 
figure out who's who, know what you're fucking talking about, and go out and make shit happen. You know, do it properly. Don't be just a person in the back of the crowd. Figure out what you're good at. Right? Develop a skill and apply yourself to it. It's a knowable cause. I don't know if the climate's changing or not. I'm a little bit like I won't be planning my life around it because, you know, every religion and every god is based on the weather, isn't it? Mm. Really? The apocalypse is coming from the sky. Noah's flood. It's all the weather's going to get you if you don't behave properly. (laughs) But, like, it's all about how to actually enact what you want. So people will want things and they'll look out into the world and they say they want this change. And it was like, then what they do to go about it is the weakest, willy, fucking shit going, man. And it was like, make it happen. And start with, what do I need? Who do I need to become to get what I want? If I'm, you know, if I don't already have it, I'm not the person that's going to get it. I need to become the person that's going to get Mm. it. So work within the realm of yourself and what you can do. and Almost anything that you want to do is going to start with education and contacts with mm, people. This know? did. So learning, learning and social skills. And it's like, yeah, sorry, I got sidetracked. No, 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 it's great. That was it. I did actually, I did make notes. <laughs> well, I am conscious of your time. So what in your notes then have we not talked about that you want to talk about, mate? All right, roll of the dice. I'll give you a good look. When you ask me about the mental health later, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a trigger warning. Oh, we'll skip over the mental health chat. Let's just let's just do one big long pod. <laughs> no interruptions. Uh, let me see. Yeah. Well, so okay. So I wanted to introduce to the idea that in a lot of modern therapy psychology stuff, it's maybe just a different language, and an awful lot of what's being done is actually already been done, and the language is there. It's just presented differently. And one of the reasons that it's been renewed is because originally it was all kind of for men and about men and it was all written about battle and tribalism yeah to a degree right but it wasn't really very easily accessible to women so like a lot of modern psychology is adapted around neutral like people are people and it doesn't suit a lot of women so the language has changed a little bit and this pull has caused some of the principles to get lost a little bit yeah So Chris, I'm picking on him again, he spoke about playing football with the lads and the relief that he got while he was just, you know, he's just playing football and he was thinking Mm -hmm. about it. That's Zen. Modern stuff, they call it flow state, timelessness, engaging your mind. It's like a break. It's like a rest. It's wonderful. It's lovely. It's like a reset. It can be achieved in loads of ways. Loads of ways. Right? But the pursuit of Zen, right, and moments of Zen, as an antidote to stress, right? As an aid to shaking off latent feelings and resetting yourself and cleansing yourself a little bit so you can start thinking again from a neutral point of view. Zen is how you get there, right? Surfing is how I like to do, achieve Zen. Or I go running in the forest. I find that running on the road is too easy. Running in the forest, I have to look mm-hmm. where I'm stepping. And I can't just drift off of my mind and think about stupid shit. They're out surfing. I'm not good enough and the sea is brutal enough that I can't take my eyes off it for a second and I have to stay in Zen for quite a long time or I die. It's great. And then when I actually manage to get a bit surfing, it's cool too. But Zen is, Zen is a tool, man. It's a play. It's a, it's, a, it's a mind trick and it can be achieved by going and playing soccer. 
and getting involved with people. It's called Zen in Buddhism, and people will kind of recognize that, right? Prayer in Christianity is close to it. They don't go for a state of total Zen in Christianity, right? But prayer is close to the same concept, right? These are normal things, right? The people have always known, and somehow universities have tried to rebrand this stuff and change the words and make a playbook. You mean like the wellness you know? or well-being playbook sort of thing? Yeah, or yeah, even like a modern psychotherapy and psychology and stuff like that. Even when it comes to bonding. So when I've been working with the guys that I work with and I'm having difficulty bonding with them, I'm looking to put their body on max, right? And then when the body is calming down, they're a lot more open. That post-endorphin rush or calm down is, yeah, right. probably the best place to get them at, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very zen place to be. And so, you know, the exercises we do, they like it, it's enjoyable, they can encourage it in them in a sense of competition, pushing themselves. doesn't take much to get a guy to jump off a short cliff when he don't want to. You just call him a chicken. Um, or other words that we're not, we don't use <laughs> yeah. anymore. We're as afraid as a carrot. I don't know, what am I supposed to say? Uh, coward. But yeah, a few choice names, easy done. Boom, jump, jump off the cliff. Completely different. Now it's easier to talk about what you were upset about and... Because everything uh, else is not as difficult as that. Correct. But whose therapist is going to say, do you know what we think we need, Freddie? Two of us are going skinny dipping in a frozen lake. <laughs> do you know? But again, you got to watch out for it. Wim Hof had an enormous problem, and he fixed it using a type of thinking combined with cold therapy, right? And you have to be careful about a man who's just discovered a hammer going around thinking everything's a nail, you know? <laughs> It's like, behold, my uni tool can be used to fix everything. <laughs> Smash. <laughs> I do practice cold showers. I do like jumping in cold water. It's, I find it exhilarating. It's lovely, you know. I'm just talking about how easy it is to bond with people. Mm. If you get frightened with somebody, right, a big adrenaline burst of, ah, right, or even worse, something actually yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, conflict, mate. All right. You are permanently connected to that person. Whether you like it or not, you will always feel them when they're around. In a sense, you can you can develop it. Or you don't you don't have to like somebody because of it, but you just you know connected to them in some kind of a way. And these things you said that you have done a couple of different types of therapy, and you're ready to kind of maybe move on to something. Well, I'm I'm back into types. therapy now, but a different type. So I've done yeah. two different forms of one to one therapy, and now I'm in a, a group support group which has been very very helpful for me there's another ancient practice which is not at all popular for obvious reasons which is really really important i think for men which is humiliation we're into university type initiations are we now <laughs> eat this shit and then you'll be in the rugby team <laughs> so in greece the Stoics used to dress as lepers who used to have to wear a special outfit. Right, so people knew they were a leper and would stay away from This them. is just the archetype before the stag do, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know about, like, okay, doing it as an initiation or a hazing is different because that's about the sacrifice somebody's willing to pay to join the club, right? The Stoics and their humiliation ritual is about lessening your need for the approval of others, right? Which is a lot more about getting on with doing what you want to do 
and not being as emotionally impacted, or if you are being easily dismissive of it and bringing yourself back, if other people don't approve, and they would take it to the extreme and say, to experience people's disgust when they see you, full humiliation, is that if you can endure that and still enjoy your cup of tea, right, then you've strengthened yourself in a way that you're now free to make your own choices without being influenced of what other people think of you or free of public opinion impacting you. So they dressed as lepers and announced themselves to the people that knew them, their own town of people, as a leper. So they went from whatever station they were at to everybody wanting to stay, you know, not welcome at all anywhere, get away from me. You're disgusting. And then after that experience, they would bugger off to their monastery or whatever to carry on. But the exercise was in, can you put up with that punishment? It's a similar exercise to me sitting there going, okay, my wife actually might leave me when the kids all move out. Not because I've done anything wrong or not because there isn't any love, because that's what she's like. And if I force her to stay or I use manipulation or pressure to stay, I'm not letting her be her. Like, you know, I'm taking something from her because I'm prioritizing myself over her. But it's her actions, her life. My job is to decide what I'm going to do, not what she's going to do. This idea then... Like, it's something that's missing. This need for... Well, it's not missing. It's hard mentality. People have always been like yes. that. It's simply a case of if you want to strengthen yourself, right? This is a direction in which to strengthen yourself, which is actively discouraged in psychotherapy. To submit yourself to the concept of humiliation and not think about other people in the same way, right? To free yourself of that and truly act in a way of, I actually don't give a fuck whether you like it or not. <laughs> right. That's a freedom in uh, itself, isn't it? It's, yeah. You know, it's not recommended because it's not very cooperative, right? If you encourage everybody to behave like that, then everybody cooperating, you kind of have to convince them that it's actually in their own best interest. Well, then you end up like Norway, which is high trust society, low corruption. You know, people leave their kids mm-hmm. out and kind of come back to them in, on, on, in cafes and public places, like, and people are like, oh, eh, fine. But that's because people are nicer <laughs> in Norway than they are and in the UK. <laughs> there's an advancement that then of self-belief right where it goes from the approval of others into kind of the support of others right so i myself had the experience of being like when i told everybody i was going to be a farmer they were roaring laughing like, and the only person that believed in my plan was me and it was quite the experience to be living in a tent the only person convinced that I could do what I was going to set out to do, right? Or that I should mm. should do it. And in that expression, it was like, I truly do not need other people's approval. I guarantee mm. you that. But it's desirable. Mm. It's really, Jesus, man, does it make life easier to say, I'm going this way. And everybody else said, but no, 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 we're all going this way. And I'm like, well, bye, motherfuckers, if you want to go the wrong way. You know? <laughs> and not give it a second thought until, unless I'm... Unless I, unless I am actually kind of somebody goes no 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 look and then you change mm. your mind like you know, but it's not a case, it's not a case of just because everybody else moves that way. It was like most people are fucking stupid man. Don't be thinking because you've convinced a bunch of idiots to walk that way that that's the right way. And to have that, you need both, right? So you, you can't be embarrassed by people's opinion of you, and then 
Equally speaking, you can't need their support to be able to be decisive and actionable. Again, in the big game of life, in the most important stuff, right, you might have to overrule your right with your wife when she's manic because she's just had a baby and she's making a bad decision. Maybe she wants to feed the baby again and the baby don't need any food. And she's thinking the baby's not eating because it's being, mm. you know, it needs encouragement and she just has to do something and the baby's just not hungry. But she's, but she's falling asleep for five minutes and thinks it's two mm. hours, right? You can't be afraid of telling her, no, 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 no. You can't give up on that, right? You, you have to overrule and say, hey, look, no. And however you handle it, however you convince her, you still actually have to be thinking, I have the right. You have to feel it. Mm. I'm right. You're mm. wrong. <laughs> in this, you know, you don't have to march around thinking you're always right like me, <laughs> you know. But I have a cheat code for being always right. As soon as I'm wrong, I change my mind to the right answer, <laughs> and I'm right. <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the jump cut, you know. As long as people don't spot yeah. the jump cut, it's fluid. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I read a, I read a great uh, book called Think Again: The Power of Being Wrong by Adam Grant, which um really shaped my I guess opinion on this and I think a lot of people in my personal life would claim I'm very strident which I am on certain things but I'm also happy to be proven wrong and I'm also very happy on certain topics to be like I know jack shit about that tell me what I should be thinking yeah humility is a hard one mm. you know accepting your mistake um, is also something that people don't do enough nowadays which I try and do as I, I'm, all, I'm not perfect but I try and do that as much as I can and then some people just underestimate the amount of effort that you're willing to do, not to be put off by what people say. I quite often say, oh, all right, I'm going to go and do that. And then people, you don't know how to do it. And I was like, well, I'm just going to fucking read how to do it. <laughs> you know? It's like, what? I was like, YouTube would tell you how to do almost mm-hmm. anything. I was like, what do you mean I don't know how to do it? It's like, fucking work with your own, figure it out. It'll be fine. <laughs> I'll get there. It's not that complicated. <laughs> almost, you're like, I'm not trying to do surgery or build a computer like most things on a car i've fixed most things on a car just by looking at it on youtube it's like do you know what you mean you can't do it you can't do it you just have to learn how to do it and you'll find that the majority of people they just don't think like that they just don't think i don't know how to do something therefore i will learn how to do it and then i can do it most people think i'll find somebody that can do it i'm kind of in between because i do tend to think like that when it comes to some things but then my autistic trait is that my struggles with fine motor tasks are quite heavy and people will know and sometimes i get jokes that i can't put a coat on properly so i do have both uh, elements all right you're a bit dyspraxic. a little bit yeah someone tells me to put up a shelf i will not know how to do that i can youtube it my brain is very very process driven if i get shown something how to do it i will do that process again and again and again it's like repetition in my head I mean, don't get me wrong in that, right? I mean, the first thing I did on the farm, like as soon as I could afford to, was pay other people to do the things I'm shit at, right? It's not that like you have to be this jack of all trades, but there is this concept around our capacity to learn yes. stuff quite quickly, mm. quite mm. easily, and an awful lot of the stuff around us isn't as complicated as you think, right? So, like a car is actually just an assembly of parts, right? You don't fix the engine engine, right? If anything's wrong with that, you need a new engine, <laughs> right? Even the mechanic don't fix that. He just puts the new one in. Some of the car, you need specialist equipment to be able to handle. 
like tension in springs and stuff. Some of it you need a second person to do, right? You need somebody on the other end, like doing brakes and stuff. But the rest of it is just an assembly of parts, right? When I meet a young man who's got a broken window in an old car, I'm like, lock it up on YouTube, man. Don't settle for a broken window. Why are you drawing around a broken window? Go learn it. Go fix it. It's actually like Lego, right? <laughs> it's not complicated. It's screwing stuff off and taking things off and then screwing them back on. Like It's not that hard. And it's the most, like, in the house. With most things, you can replace parts and you can... Look, I'm not, I'm not getting into lecturing you about doing DIY. <laughs> I'll pay someone for that, Gar. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd make a useless handyman. I'd be like, why wouldn't you fix this yourself? <laughs> I'd be looking at the screws going, uh, uh I can't do it. <laughs> And no, this is me ranting a little bit because it's, you know, around me I see people kind of going, having great lack of faith in their own capabilities. And I think that they go for a very long period of time only doing what they absolutely have to do. And anytime something goes wrong, all they do is look for somebody else to fix it. And then they get to 25 mm. and there isn't anybody else to fix it. And the world is holding them responsible and they're kind of going. And then it's starting to hurt. Yeah. Really yeah. hurt. And teenagers are capable of way way more way more like you know children are capable of way more than people give them credit mm. for. and seven eight years old that's when they need to really start ramping up on what they're learning they'll learn stuff so yeah. fast right and they need exposure and people are afraid of kids being upset i mean it's like the idea of a child being really upset or having a hard time or whatever and it was like the gap, like how far a kid can go before it's like traumatic for them, is massive. Like, you know, people are stopping at like 2%, mm. where a kid gets hurt at like 95%. And everybody's terrified that it's going to slip away from them and they're just going to, you know, and a kid's going to get hurt and it's all it's going to be too much, or that a crying child is this emergency for adults mm. and stuff. Well, and the, like... the age old trope, and it is a true one, is that, you know, kids are some of the most resilient people on earth because on certain traumatic events they have this ability to for example with grief to jump into a grief swimming pool and jump out of it very quickly and the adults are stuck in the grief swimming pool for weeks and months and years they can do it in a day and obviously it doesn't mean they processed it 100% or means that they're over it but it means that they can adapt to it much more quickly actually when you think about it yeah kids need to grow up a bit faster mm. you know? <laughs> our parents generation well not mine most people's parents' generation, like the boomers, even the millennials, you'll say, kind of got this idea that they need to preserve childhood. I think that was a Gen X you thing, know? to be um, honest, mate. I think that was your generation for the for their kids. All right, sorry, am I getting the yeah. names wrong? So millennial yeah. is me. I'm a back-end uh, millennial because I was, 90, okay, I was 94 sorry. born. Yeah, yeah, it's a mistake, man. You know, in my own life, I thought I was letting my kids live and I thought other people were holding their children back too much mm. you know that's kind of what it felt like but now i'm kind of looking online and seeing how people speak about it and stuff and it was like you let your children manipulate you and now they're out there in the world trying to manipulate the world the way that they manipulate their parents to get yeah. what they want and it's not working they're being fucking yeah chewed up, well it's the, it's the consequences <laughs> of spoiled children isn't it 
and spoiled children never end up well some will end up being the richest people in the world because their parents have got them that way but a lot of them will end up fucked up and not you know anywhere near the level that their parents were because they were spoiled rotten and that's the consequences of it and like i don't know how nice your childhood was to the extent where you would say that it was spoiled or whatever freddie but to people that feel themselves under a lot of pressure and it being difficult you know, and then finding, oh, whatever, you know, when you get through a year, like you've got through a year, I wouldn't feel like, phew, oh, jeez, that was horrible, right? Because there's more shit coming, mm. man. Guaranteed, guaranteed, right? You need to be coming out of that year going, man, I got it, mm. here I go, momentum, still going, right? I, I got back up, right? You cannot keep Freddy down, motherfuckers, here we, world, here mm. we come. And wear it like a badge. Didn't fucking knock me out at that time. What else you got in store? Right? I can take more than that. Mm. And you obviously mm. can. You're not even phased. You may feel it. Right? But you haven't lost any momentum in your life. Right? You might have to come back from homeless at some point in your life. You might make such bad decisions, you end up with an addiction to get over and you're fucking Touching homeless. all the wood in my flat right now. Right? People go that low, and they bounce yes. back. Yeah. We've all got it in us to be that tenacious, right? Whatever happened to you has happened to you, right? It's the shit that's your own doing that's actually the easiest to deal with because you can just not do it again. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Less, not do yeah. it again. The shit you got to put up with, right? It's outside your yeah, doing. That's the hardest that, stuff, man. The stuff, this, none of this stuff that happened to me last year was in my control. That's why I hated it. But, you know, I got through it, and... I tried to take positives out of the year where I could, and now here we are. I want to put the biggest positive on all of that is you are still here keeping going. You are at the other end of it, and it hasn't broke you, right? And whatever challenge is coming next may make this look like a fucking walk in the park, <laughs> man, right? And whatever that is can be made look like a walk in the park, right? It's, like, it's a never-ending scale of fucking horror, it gets fucking dark with how bad it can be, right? And the answer to dealing with the shit that we've got to deal with is to understand that it's resilience we need. It's not that we don't need more shit to happen to us. You can't ask that mm. of the world. I try and be anti-fragile now. That's what Nassim Nicholas Tlaib talks about. That's yeah. what it's called. Well, no, no, you're right. But res- <laughs> resilience, resilience is when, well, he defines it as resilience is when bad things happen to you and you stay the same. Whereas anti-fragility is bad things happen to you and you change for the better because of them. So I try and be anti-fragile now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's a tool in the belt. Yes. Right? You may think that if you had a bit of a meltdown for yourself, right, that the problem is that you had a meltdown, right? That's an awful way to look at it, right? You had something extreme that was going on. It overwhelmed. You reset. You rebuilt, you dealt with the fucking problem, and now here you are. Like The fact that you ended up having a meltdown is inconsequential. It might happen again. Mm. You might have to deal with another fucking meltdown. Right? You you know, okay, so think you, you should be absorbing this of, okay, this is what I do. When this, If it all gets out of fucking hand, this is how I rein myself back in. Last time it took X period of time, right? See if I can get it down next time. Stop looking at it as something that shouldn't be happening. It, it is happening. might happen again. And I'm not talking about you. You're an effigy to the issue. Again, I thought you were talking about me <laughs> now. I was preparing a response. Just, <laughs> yeah, right. 
Well, I am, but I'm only speaking about it symbolically. Right. I'm not picking on you, and I don't claim to be able to say anything meaningful about you personally because you know, I'd have to be there. I'd have to listen to how you process it to say anything about mm. you or to say anything meaningful. Well, the fact that I had a breakdown last month really... and I've now taken steps to proactively address it, I think I'm quite proud of myself for doing, and that was quite quickly. And that's what mm. you need. That's the focus. Mm. You're like, okay, this shit's going on. It was on, a wake-up right? call, yeah. You know and it's like, okay, you can build on that. You said that there's a whole load of firsts. Now they aren't firsts, right? You're a lot more capable and stronger next time. I mean, pray to right? God I don't have another abscess. Pray to God. But yeah, I would be ready for it if it did happen. Yeah, and then if somebody else has gone through the hospital fucking drama, you have an anchor for empathy. Mm -hmm. You know, empathizing with somebody else is going to come way easier now for that yes. type yep. issue. And, like, you need to gather all of these things, see them as fucking trophies and reference mm. points and, you know, anchorage for other issues that you have, you know. Confidence. If you're ever feeling down, you're like, well, do you know what? I was actually fucking, you know, the voice is in your head. Here's your you don't know me, son. Well, actually, I was lying in the bed having a fucking panic attack on my own, right? And I got through it and I got back, whatever. And it felt fucking awful all the way fucking through. So whatever this is, isn't actually as bad as that. Now, fucking pick yourself up, Fred. So let's carry on. And these things can be things that you can draw on for strength. They don't have to be, like, negative now, afterwards. They were negative at the time. Yes, yeah. You know, it was like, uh, there were trials at mm. the time. There's more trials mm. to come. Today, today, when you don't have any kind of trial like that, Hallelujah. You so. always learn through mistakes and negative events rather than positives, don't you? But that's it. You know, when everything's going fine, that's what the negatives are about. You're supposed to just cruise it, mm. you know? Like Richie, who you My friend Richie, love too. Richie, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Richie's all loved up. I know, it's great. Uh, I keep I uh, keep meaning to, you know? to message him going, shut up, you softy, whatever, but I love him. I love it. I love it. He's, he's so, great to see, so great to see him like that. Okay, highs and lows in life. Right, there's Poor. big ones and there's little and Lord, ones. Lord knows right. he's been through some big lows, mate. Right. So, right, the world would fucking eat you, mm. man. Took a chunk out of Richie. Mm. Right, that man is going to inspire people. He already has, right? mate. Yeah, but yeah, I know what you mean. He's only just fucking started, right? But he's in something brand new. He's out the frontier. He's on the front of the he, spaceship. He was the. He was unknown. literally one of the first right. over the top. Let's be real. In this country, anyway. Right. I listen to some of the stuff he says, and I watch the wave of it happening, and I'm like, man, there's a champion being born mm. there. Right. I see it every day, man. I, like, I can't wait to hear what that man has to say in like 20, 25 years. When what's all of this shit that's bad that's happening has been remolded for him in his own mind, like we're talking about, right? And it becomes a source of power and strength for him. Right, and it was like, okay, all of this fucking happened, right? And like, talk about a fucking scalp, man. Is there any other part of your body you'd give up before you give up your fucking? Mm. So he's paid his fucking dues, right? And it's like, my god, man, when he remolds all of that in his mind, like I know it can be done, like I have done it with things in my own mind, and like I've seen other people do it, right? And it's a very slow process, and it takes many instances, and he's only just begun, but he's off to a fucking massive start. The stuff I read him writing down, it was like, oh, you know, maybe there is something to psychotherapy and shit, because he's got a great head start. Now. I know he appreciates your support, right. mate, because I do see you support him and a lot of other lads as well. Oh, Jesus, man, I fucking can't wait. I see a champion in the fucking making mm. there, man. 
like what he could bring to society with his perspective if they listen to him mate, do you know what i mean it's the age-old question that i keep saying people aren't listening enough to men right now yeah well do you know part of his journey is going to be learning how to be heard yeah some people shout loud enough you can't help but hear mm. and i'm sure that that's going to be part of his journey and like you know like his love buzz that he's on at the moment is a high of mm. life it's incredible and it's like yes yes you deserve you know, it who wants Richie? to go from, that's what i always think who wants to go from fucking boring to mildly excited and back to fucking boring again give me the wild swings of fucking life let the shark of life take a big fucking bite out of you and then rise from the ashes mm. and become a fucking champion that's a life worth mm. living and it's like God, I wish I could fire people up, man. Mm. Do you know? For life in general. Get people excited. Like, fucking don't celebrate sadness. Shit happens to people. Like, it's awful. Right? Yeah, okay. Stop shit happening to people where we can. Make a better society and a stronger society or whatever. But, like, people have to be fucking strong, man. Mm. Individually. Like, collectively, we have to try to make sure people don't have to be strong perhaps, and that we can protect the vulnerable and we can help the weak and we can provide as much opportunity for everybody as we absolutely can. Individually, we have to be fucking tigers, right? Otherwise, that shit's impossible. It's our drive individually to get shit done, push society in the direction we want to push it in. That's the driving force of culture. Stop being shy about stuff. Stop looking for approval. And especially to men, stop seeking female approval. (laughs) You don't need it, right? You don't need female approval, you know? You need an older man to tell younger men, these are the steps to becoming a man, right? And then when he gets there, you fucking clap him on the back and tell him you're a man now, boy, right? It all stops with you, logs and boats, right? You don't know me, son, from now on, for yourself. Mm. And if I tell you you can't do something, you should be saying you don't know me, son back to me you're a man now carry on that's fucking important and the women need it they need us to be behaving like that Mm. right the women turn around and saying good man means fucking nothing (laughs) doesn't (laughs) right sorry sorry it can't it can't the society doesn't function like work like that it doesn't work that's not how we work together that's not how we work with women. You're and right, because women have been telling other women that we don't, they don't need the approval of men for, for the last two centuries. So, Hallelujah. <laughs> and correct. correct. <laughs> if you dress how men want you to dress, you end up looking like that. Mm. Right. Don't. Right? Listen to the older ones who have got what they want out of life. Yeah, because the most happiest demographic in the US anyway is married women with children. There you go. So my wife is a skilled woman. She's able to earn her own money. She's, got, she's working at the moment. She's doing it all and like as in now. She went back to work after the kids went back to school because she wanted to explore her own talents. Great, whatever, right? She never had to put up with any of the fucking pressure that I had to put up with, right? And I put up with all of that pressure because she had to be the one to give birth to the kids and raise them as infants, at least. It's just a trade-off. Division of labour, like you said on so part both, one. Yeah. yeah, right. We both played to our strengths. Right, couples have to work out how to do that as couples. Right, I mean it's not all going to lean into it. Like we just happen to be kind of rather uh, very masculine and very feminine yeah. by what combination of personality. Your yin and yang was stereotypical and, yin and yang, so so to speak. Yeah, yeah, 
very average. You would say. <laughs> I would never, I would never make that claim on you or your wife, mate. But I get what you mean. <laughs> but as the average man and the average woman, and these relationships are how they kind of, you know, I'm not a man without her being yes. a woman type yep. of thing, right? And if you're gonna engage with all of that as a man, right? This is where being a man starts to differentiate itself from being a person or a mm-hmm. woman, right? It's in your relationship to the woman. And the biggest part I know in my life where it has been that is I am the emergency cord for her. When she can't carry the boats and the logs for whatever reason. You're the safety net. The book, the book stops mm-hmm. with me. That can materialize in loads of ways, like in tiny ways. Right? She may not even need it most of the time. Maybe the security of knowing it's there is enough for her. This idea that you're a Mormon family and nobody's allowed to talk at dinner because the dad's in church. Don't get carried away with that stupid shit, right? To be a man to a woman in the idea of being a family is how you relate to the children as a father versus a mother and then how you cooperate with each other's and use each other's instincts as well for things. And a lot of men's instincts are actually related to how you represent and deal with the family or deal with the outside world for your family, right? So, like, a lot of the man's instincts are actually more catered to dealing with other people rather than the the external rather than the internal. And the family and the kids. And to use that and to lean on that and, and to be comfortable in that with people, right? But then if I think about, okay, how do you go from a single person? So that's the goal at the other end. You get there. Normally, hopefully, you love each other to start having kids before you fucking think about it like I did, because if you think about it too long, you might not have them. (laughs) Right? So, whatever. But as soon as you start thinking about that and where the target is, that's where your target is. It's it's harmony. It's working as a dance together. In whatever form that takes, whether it's stereotypical or not. Like When you start off, a woman is independent. Why shouldn't she be? It's dangerous for a woman to rely on men. I've got daughters. So, I think about it from their perspective. So you can't expect a woman, before she's a wife, to be a wife, right? It's just unreasonable. <laughs> she goes to the nightclub in her penny forward with an apple pie looking for her husband. You know she's just... That's, well, that's, the, right? the trad wife influencer is a thing now, so... John, they're selling imagery and entertainment. So don't yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all lies. <laughs> it's lie witness news. Yeah. Bullshit. 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 Right. And, like... The way that that trad life American shite stuff looks like, I just love to serve my husband. That is such a show, man. Because, like, I know loads of religious families. That is not what it looks like. It's nonsense. Nonsense. Get over it. They're just... They're winding everybody up for Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is what they're doing. Right? It's rage um, porn. It's rage porn, isn't it, really? Yeah. It is. It is. You know? There's the types of person for everybody which is kind of, I alluded to that last time we spoke. And online dating has made people think that they need to appeal to as many people as possible to stand the best chance they can of coming across the people that suit them. I think you mean men for that. I don't think women are thinking that now, to be honest. (laughs) Well, they do. Women are great conformists. They won't wear shit that's out of fashion. Yeah, but isn't that more out of them shaming each other? Like, like I saw this tweet the other day, right? It was a woman, a woman I actually follow. She's a good, she's a good mutual follow. She was criticizing another woman who said, "Oh, men will have a go at you if you wear the same outfit twice." And then she was like, "No, they don't. Women do that." And I was, and, and men mm. don't care. You could wear the same outfit fifty million times, and men wouldn't care. I'm like, "Yep, that's correct." <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. So when women say that they dress or what they do is for themselves or for other women or for gay men, <laughs> right? I still don't believe that. <laughs> right? Okay. Who it's not, right? Even is just for the audience, right? So there is a numbers game with women. And hey, I said it to my daughters, they can choose what they want and just pay attention to whether or not the following is true. If you advertise sex with your clothes, you will advertise it to everybody that sees you, right? If you want to go fishing with a giant net, you will catch everything in the sea where the net lands. Correct. Right? If you want to go fishing for a specific type of fish, you use a specific type of bait. Correct. And a specific type of rod. <laughs> right. You can look good without advertising sex. So you can look beautiful mm-hmm. rather than sexy. Right? In a woman's world, this is known as class. Right, and it's basically just a little bit fucking higher and a little bit longer, right? And you can target your sexuality at individuals with your behavior. Ah, so you mean if you're targeting your sexuality for a short term relationship or person that will see you as a short term relationship rather than a person that will see you as a long term relationship? So I kind of rephrased it as take control, pick who you want, target yourself at who you want. By advertising yourself to everybody and then choosing from the men that come to you, you're a lot less likely to get what That you is want. online dating in a nutshell. For women, I would right. say. As in, they get millions so, of likes, far more than men, and they have to filter out the 1%. Yeah. So back in, my, in the analog era where we had to do it in That's getting cold, as Mickey Flanagan right, would say. <laughs> let's call it, you had Tinder servers with like 200 people on them. Right, and you had to pay fifteen euro to get into a server, <laughs> right? And you had to dance, otherwise nobody would swipe on you. So you go into a bar or whatever, right? And how people behave then with their, how women behave with their signaling, the women that have their tits out or the short skirts, right, are wanting men to come to them, right? And they want to choose from that. Now they're getting tons of good feelings about the affirmation that they get that they're sexually desirable to lots of people there's all of that going on but if they're actually looking for a partner partner right their filter is better also in real life than it is online because online is a harder filter it just full stop because a man could present himself as the most uh, attractive well-to-do person but could actually be a predator underneath the good looks do you know what i mean and you can't filter that yes. online. You can filter it in real life because no. you get a sense of body language, Easier. tone of voice, a vibe straight away. And you can go, oh, let's shift him on straight away. Yeah. Yeah, this is why I don't believe women when they say they're not dressing for men. It was like sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. And I used the example on Twitter recently of something I saw a couple of years ago where it cracked me up. I couldn't wait to share it with my wife. And when we got back into the car, I just couldn't say it in front of the people that were there. I saw a woman catch another woman Seeing her husband, seeing sorry, woman A caught woman B seeing woman B's husband looking at woman A's cleavage, right? Right, and woman A grew an inch taller. Oh, so the sisterhood went out the window here, (laughs) Jesus Christ, man, right? 
So she got her jig on, right? It beamed her. Something happened. It was like all of a sudden she'd fallen in love, right? She looked five years younger, an inch taller, and she was proud. She walked off, man. She swung those tits around like they were fucking made out of gold. Oh, I'm going to get cancelled from this podcast. (laughs) That's all right. You can just say, look, he's a bit sexist. You'll have to get over it. Right. She walked off anyway, and Mrs. L was on the other side of the room. This was at a wedding, and so we were in the car later. I was like, "You never guess what happened, right?" I was like, "What?" I was like, "Well, I just happened to be looking at it as the moment took place." I was like, "I was like, wonder what's going on there." And she goes, "Hmm, I wondered why she was wearing that dress. Didn't your one?" make fun of like her scones or something some baking she did for the local school bake fair or some shit my wife's read on it was she had worn that dress specifically as, as a, a revenge up for right. revenge for a comment about her baking six months ago a dish is best served right? cold <laughs> like all that jazz yeah was she dressing for men no, she wasn't. She was dressing to piss Betty off via her husband. <laughs> so both. <Right? laughs> Do women dress for the male gaze? Yes and no and yes. And stop fucking lying about yeah. it, ladies. <laughs> You're not fooling anyone. <laughs> well, what, what a note to end on because I've got a two-hour record limit on every single record. So, Garme, it's been an absolute pleasure. I don't know where that time's flown. It, this definitely took less stress than the last one because my parents wi-fi was jittering on and off and i was stressing so thank you so much for coming back on the just checking in podcast and talking to me pal you're more than welcome good to chat with you well that's all we've got time for on this episode of the just checking in pod a big thank you to gar for being my special guest once more and for letting me check back in with him I'll sign us off by saying thank you to all the venters who tuned into this episode. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. If you're feeling generous, write us a review and give us a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. If you like what we're doing at Vent, please consider going to our Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Or you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe or you can visit our link tree, that's linktr.ee slash venthelpuk, all one word, to find out more about all the other ways you can financially support Vent. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember guys, it is always okay to vent. <laughs>